So we are taking a break from Romans this morning, and I know some of you might be thinking, we are almost done, and we are almost done with Romans. It's true. We've been preaching through it for almost the last year and a half, um, and in, we will have three more sermons from it, but we're taking a break this morning to talk about something specific that we are going to be doing here at Kish. But before we dive into that, uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we think about this text, that you would be teaching us what it means to be your people, serving your purpose in the world. Pray that you would be with all of us sinners as we hear your calling on our lives, and that you would be with me, a sinner, as I seek to preach your word. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have to tell you up front that I am not a believer in life verses. I know a lot of people that have a life verse that they quote, and I know a lot of pastors who have one verse that um, they say sums up their whole ministry, and I have never really gone into that. There's this part of me that's just always like, it seems like you should have the whole Bible. But if I had a life verse for ministry, <laughs> it would be these verses. Um, when I think about what it means to be the church and why, uh, what I hope for as a pastor, um, this passage is the place I return to the most often. It gives us a picture of the church, a picture that corrects these wrong mental images, and it reminds us of the purpose of the church, and it tells us how we get there. Uh, so I want to look at each of those ideas briefly this morning. And this is leading to us discussing some particular stuff here. But first, I want us to just reflect a little bit on this text. So first, this passage from Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of the church, of what it is and how it is supposed to work. And for this picture to make sense, first let me suggest a picture that I think we often have when we imagine what the church looks like. We start with the idea of the church, and we start thinking about this structure or this institution. And there is a sense in which the word church means that, right? It, people use it to refer to this building and to the people like me who make their living doing church stuff, and maybe like our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, if you come from other traditions, maybe you think about like bishops or cardinals or something too, but you're thinking about this institutional thing, this organization, uh, the church as an organization, and what we think is that it is this organization then that serves Jesus in the world. It does the work of Jesus in the world, and we think of ourselves as, um, as supporting that institution. That's our job, to do stuff like come to church on Sunday morning and tithe and you know, volunteer to do activities so that the church, meaning that institution, can go serve Jesus in the world. Now, some of us might know that that picture is wrong, um, and some of us might be surprised by that, but regardless of what we think of it, I think that picture has a lot of power over us in terms of how we actually think about the church. And we'll return to that in a minute, but look at how Paul pictures the church to see what I mean. So start in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So there Paul's talking about that institutional church, right? Like we said, he's talking about the leaders. In his day, it's the apostles that, um, that ran the church, and, um, and it's their testimony still in scripture to, to him that shapes and molds us, and the evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers. He's talking about that institutional church. But then in verse 12, he says, um, to equip his people 
for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that first phrase, that word the NIV translates service, you could also translate that as ministry, and some of your translations will say that, to equip his saints for the work of ministry. But who's doing the ministry then, right, in that verse? Is it the apostles and pastors? No, Paul's saying it's, it's all of us, it's the saints, the, the people in the church that are doing that work of ministry. One of the titles I sometimes get called as a pastor is a minister. And, um, and look, I, don't, I, don't, I know how awkward it is for people to figure out what they're supposed to call you, and so I don't like correct them when they say that, and it still beats being called father, which is even stranger sometimes. But, um, but there's always a part of me that cringes a little bit because I want to say, like, it, it scripturally, like, that's not me, <laughs> that's you, that's each of us, right? We are each a minister, Paul says. Um, instead, the job of the organization, the institution, is to equip God's people so that they can do the work of ministry. That's what I'm supposed to do, to help us understand and live into that call to ministry. And so that gives us a different picture, right? Because it starts with all of us. It starts with God's people when we're talking about the church. And each of us has a job to do in serving Jesus. Um, One point to clarify, that doesn't mean we each do it separate from each other. Part of that idea of church right? That that word comes from a word that means gathering, is that we do that in an interconnected way. We're this community of people together who are serving Jesus. Um, But that's at heart Paul's picture of the church. And then he has this institution, which he does recognize, right? But the institution's role isn't to be served by those people, but rather to serve those people as those people are the ones that are serving Jesus. Its job is to build them up and train and equip them so that they can serve him. That's, like, that's my job as a pastor, right? Not to be the person who does the work of Jesus in the world, but the person who tries to serve him by helping each of us um, understand our place in that calling. Let me suggest one practical thing that calling and that picture means before we move on to the bigger stuff in a minute. Um, I often hear people say, I wish the church did more of this thing, right? And there's all kinds of different stuff that could be on that list. Um, You know, helping the poor, being present in the community, doing outreach and evangelism, all kinds of stuff. And I always agree with those people, right? I always think, yes, it would be great if the church was doing more of that. But I feel a tension because often what I suspect they mean is that I wish you were doing more of that, whereas what I mean is that I wish we were doing more of that. Not the church in the sense of the institution doing it, but the church in the sense of us, its members. So like if you really feel that the church um, should be helping the homeless in our community, that is a great thing to do. Um, But our tendency is often to kind of complain about it and then expect some committee in some institution to step in and do it for us, right? But in Paul's picture of the church, instead it would say, if that's something that you feel passionate about and that you have a heart for, do it, right? Do it with other people. That's that interconnection of the church. But you step in and do that. And yes, the institutional church has a role to play. It preaches and teaches in a way that you know, gives us those priorities. And it can support those things in terms of I mean, money and space and you know, connecting people, stuff like that. It can support that. But at heart, it is us, God's people, that are doing that work of ministry in the world. So that's Paul's picture of the church, that group of people working together to serve Jesus. And then alongside that picture, he gives us this sense of the purpose of the church in this passage, the purpose of the church, what we're here to do. So if you look at verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So that's a familiar picture if you've been around the church, that we are the body of Christ, right? Many of you guys have heard that said or thrown that around, and I've preached on that before. But I think oftentimes we don't really have the image in our head that Paul's painting here. So what Paul's painting here is not just saying you're kind of like a body and that you're connected with each other, but he's saying really Jesus, right? Jesus was physically on earth doing God's work, and he's not now after the ascension. He's in heaven, um, but he's the head of the church, and we are that physical body then on the earth. And that body is realized on the earth by us living into the picture of the church we just talked about. So verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Jesus is physically present on earth through us, but that's different from saying it's just through me as an individual. What it is is that each of us are one little part of that physical presence of Jesus on earth, and as each of us lives into the particular areas that we're called to do, then together, collectively, Jesus is being made physically present. Part of why I think that image is so powerful when it speaks to our purpose is because it reminds us of how big our calling is. It's easy for us to reduce the mission of the church to just like one or two little institutional things, but what Paul is saying that is that if we look at Jesus and we see how he lived on earth and the things he cared about, then we should care about that as the church. We should be doing that right? Jesus cares for the helpless and the needy and the oppressed. Jesus declares God's truth fearlessly to the world. Jesus brings help and healing to the hurting and sick. Jesus preaches salvation to reconcile human beings to God. We as the church should be doing all of that. It gives us a sense that our mission in the world is as big as Jesus's mission, but at the same time, I think that image is also powerful because it makes it manageable for me as an individual. Because the way that happens is not by me doing all of that, but by me doing my particular part of that in the place in the body that God has placed me. We take the gifts and passions that God has given us, and we take the place that he has placed us, and we do that where we are at a local level. It is not my job to go show Jesus' love to every person on the planet. It's my job to show it to the people living next door to me, and the people that he's placed in my life. And as the church as a whole lives that out, Jesus is made present in the world. So that's two sides of it. There's this picture of what the church is and this purpose that the church is meant to serve. But then there's one more question from the text, and that's, well, how do we get there? Uh, How does this church, how do we become that kind of physical presence of Jesus in the world? Well, the image that Paul uses in Ephesians 4 is the image of growth. So start in verse 13. Paul says that those leading the church equip it until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's an until, right, which means we're not there yet. We're not at full unity and maturity yet, but... um, 
but we're talking about something that we are meant to be growing into and growing into in a full life kind of way, right? This isn't just like, you know, you show up for an hour on Sunday and kind of check your religion box and then get on with other things. This is picturing somehow that our whole lives we are being grown up the way a human grows from an infant into an adult. We're called to be disciples, in other words. That's the language that the Bible uses for that process of growth and following Jesus is discipleship, to follow after Jesus and seek to become like him. But the, and the church has a role to play in that discipleship. Like we saw in verse 12. Um, oh, I missed, I skipped over a section. Um, so you can skip ahead, Amber. But as we saw in verse 12, the job of the church is to equip believers to be disciples. And then that's what Paul is thinking about in verse 14, where he says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And so he's keeping with that picture of maturity, right, of growth, but what he's saying is that we're growing in this sense in a particular way. Um, he's focusing on one aspect of our immaturity, which is a lack of knowledge and understanding of our faith. And the danger, he says, is that if we aren't mature, we will be easily deceived. We will be blown back and forth, never, letting, never getting the place that we're supposed to go. And so that's actually a picture in some ways of this role that the church is playing in discipleship, right? It doesn't magically make you a disciple fully, but one of the main roles of the church is to equip us in terms of that knowledge and understanding so that we can grow in the ways we're supposed to grow. Knowledge and understanding are not the point of the Christian life. It is possible to have a head that's really swollen up with facts, right, and, and not be like Jesus at all. Um, some of us have met those people. But knowledge and understanding are crucial to the process of discipleship as we undertake it. The way I think about it, that knowledge and understanding are like the map to being a disciple, right? Just because you have the map, it doesn't mean you've gone to the place, right? I can't say like, oh, I, you know, I've been to France because I kind of poked around on Google Maps for an hour looking at it. Um, but it does give me the directions that I need to get there. And one of the main jobs of the church as an organization, as an institution, is to give believers that map of Christ-likeness. That is one of my kind of main callings as a pastor, that each of us has to take that journey for ourselves, right? And I can't like, just like make that happen to you. There's, there's a personal kind of investment you have to make, but that part of the role of Kish in that institutional sense is to give us the tools we need to grow as those disciples so that we can grow in that understanding of God. So that's the idea of Ephesians 4. And we could like just preach that as a general sermon, I think, and it would be good, right? Just expand on a few of those points. But the reason I walk through that picture this morning is because um, I want to talk through something specific that we're going to announce this morning and um, that is going to be happening here at Kish and talk you through it and invite you to be a part of it. So to get there, first I want to start with something that we don't talk a lot about because I am not the kind of person who likes to talk about purpose statements all the time. But we at Kish have a purpose statement, and it's good. It's, it's no fault of the purpose statement that I'm not the kind of person who likes to headline that. But here's what it is. It is Kishwaukee Community Evangelical Presbyterian Church seeks to glorify God through worship, discipleship, fellowship, service, and evangelism, presenting to him people mature in Christ who take his gospel into the world. So... Some of that probably sounds like some stuff that we just said from Ephesians, right? And that's, that's because um, 
That purpose statement is based on the Bible. But I want to focus on those five words in that statement. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, service, and evangelism. So worshiping God, praising him, discipleship, growing to be more like Jesus and following after him, fellowship, living life together, connected in real relationship with each other where we know each other and are known by each other, service, acts of mercy and kindness and help for the world, and evangelism, proclaiming the good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Those are the five things we think make up being a church. And if you go back to that picture of the church we discussed earlier, remember, when we use those five words, we're not first of all talking about something that the institution is, but something that each of us are, right? Those five priorities, in a sense, should be the priorities for each of our individual lives and our lives in relationship with each other. Um, This isn't just the purpose statement of our organization. But when we think about kind of the institutional church, what we do as an organization, um, Its job, first, is to support all five of those things on one level, uh, but two of them we kind of support a little bit less directly. Service and evangelism are both things that we do things to help and support. Uh, For example, the deacons help lead in service, and we hope, you know, I try to teach and things like that to help us grow in that. But at the end of the day, those are things that are often going to be rooted in where we live, right? Like, it's not my job to, you know, to share Jesus with your coworker, right? You know, I mean, God has put you in relationship with them to do that. Um, So we support those things, but we also more centrally kind of live out those other three priorities, which are worship, fellowship, and discipleship in terms of the kind of activities that we're going to give you to come to and stuff like that. Um, And again, that doesn't mean that we don't each individually do that too, right? Those things in our private lives and our families should also be things that we're doing. Um, But when I think about those things in terms of what we do as an organization, um, here's what I notice, right? I think we do worship well. There are a bunch of gifted people who serve in all kinds of different ways, and I really appreciate it, and it's a huge blessing. Um, I think that we do fellowship pretty well, and it's something that we've been trying to work on at the session the elders that lead the church, you know, have been discussing. Um, There are ways that we do it really well in terms of um, just being warm and greeting people and in terms of some of the connections, but there's ways especially for people closer to the edges that they can struggle to feel um, connected, and that's a big part of why we did launch small groups last year, and we're going to talk about small groups again in, you know, in a month and a half. We'll have a little time this summer where we you know, invite more folks to join up and see what kind of interest we have and potentially start some new ones as well, um, but then that leaves discipleship. And that I think there are some significant ways that we could grow as a church in terms of discipleship, in terms of what we as an organization do. Um, Now again, like we said, it's not the organization's job to fully disciple somebody, right? In the first place, it's something that you have to take ownership for yourself. But um, while that's true, it's also something that there's a lot that we can do to help with. And um, while some of us are served well by things, in terms of the congregation as a whole, there are a lot of gaps in what we do. Let me name two particular examples of where we could grow. One is in terms of discipling our children. Now again, the church doesn't fully disciple our children. Each of us within our family is responsible for raising and teaching our children about Jesus, but the church can do a lot to help. And while there are a few things that we do well, um, and some faithful saints serving in some areas that have been struggling, there is a lot of room for growth in terms of how we provide discipleship for our kids. 
And likewise, I think that we could do a much better job of equipping adults, and especially parents of children and younger adults. Um, it is easy to say we should be discipling our kids in our families, right? But if you feel like, I don't even know where to start with that, then that's a, that's a struggle, right? That's a real problem. Um, there is need for many of us as adults to grow in our understanding of the Bible and of the essential truths of Christianity. And so that's something that we as the elders at Kish have been talking and praying about for a while. Um, and all of that is leading me to announce a couple of changes that we're going to be making in terms of Sunday morning. First, here is what we're going to be doing, all right? And it is basically just two things. One is that we are going to be relaunching children's and adult education. Um, we have Sunday school at Kish right now, but it's struggled and been disconnected from kind of the rhythms of Sunday morning and our broader vision for ministry. And we have adult education, and there is kind of a faithful crowd of saints that attends that every week, but there's a lot of other folks that could be served by it. So here's what we're going to do, okay? We're relaunching both programs, which means first there's going to be two children's Sunday school classes and two adult education classes. Um, the children will be younger and older, obviously, and the adult education classes we will also split on age, which I don't actually love, but because we need a way to have two classes for the sake of size, and that's probably the most efficient way to do it, we're going to have one for um, people who have kids who are high school age or below or who are within that age range, and then another one for folks who are past that point in life. Um, and in those classes, and this is exciting, we are using a new curriculum, which is called the Gospel Project, and is awesome. And it basically goes through the entire Bible in three years, week by week, through the entire Bible, and it will include the same thing each week for people at every point in life. Which means that um, if you have children in children's Sunday school or teenagers in youth group that week, they'll be going through this section of the Bible, and you in adult ed will be going through the same section of the Bible. And that means that we can talk with our kids and grandkids. And even if we feel kind of lost as to you know, what to discuss with them, we'll suddenly in that one particular area be equipped for that week to talk with them about what they've been learning. Uh, I know a couple of you will have other specific questions about that. Let me just note a few. Worship kid style is going to continue. It is great. The people who serve there do a great job. Um, but it's not the same thing as that discipleship time that we're relaunching for kids. Worship kid style has always been about just an age-appropriate worship time, right, for them. And so that's something different. And we will also still have confirmation, and we're hammering out the final details with teenagers, but the plan right now will have someone around on Sunday mornings if they want to just kind of hang out during that time because it will be a youth group that they'll be going through the, the Gospel Project curriculum. Um, and we'll also invite high school-age kids to just be a part of the younger adult Sunday school class if they want. I would love to have them in there to learn and discuss those things. That's the first thing that's happening. And then to support that, and for some other reasons that we'll talk about in a minute, here's the second thing. Um, that discipleship time will be starting at 9 a.m., which means that gathered worship will then be starting at 10 a.m., which I know is a change, and change can be hard for some of us. So let me say a few words about why we're doing that. First of all, we are making that change because we want to prioritize discipleship. We want to make it a priority. The way things work right now structurally discourages people from coming to Sunday school and adult education. You come, you get the worship service, you have the benediction, you feel like you've done the thing, right? And then you have fellowship time, and you're hanging around and visiting with these people, and it's great. And then you look at the clock, and you're like, Sunday school started 15 minutes ago. 
right? <laughs> I mean, that's often our experience right now. Um, and so this is our way of making it a priority. And we will still have fellowship time too, but it will be a little more integrated in case some of you I know will have questions about that. So we're aiming to have that discipleship time done about 15 minutes before service. There will be coffee and food then. People will also be invited to hang out after service, but I know with a time change that people will need to get to lunch, so it probably won't be quite as long. And then one other benefit of that change, um, and what I'm personally excited about, is that it creates a sense of climactic worship. Um, of our time of gathered worship being a climax on Sunday morning, which is to say um, there's something powerful that happens, I think, if you go through this kind of process, right? Rather than just like running in, you know, two minutes into the announcements, you know, after you've been harried trying to get your kids out of the door, you, um, you come to church and you can get there two minutes, you know, into the adult education class, but it won't feel as stressful. But you spend some time in an informal setting discussing God's word and learning and growing, and then you spend some time greeting each other and fellowship and connecting with each other, and then you enter into worship. Not, um, not suddenly kind of out of the blue, you know, trying to switch gears, but as something that the rest of that Sunday morning has built up to. One other note about that change, which is that I would actually encourage you not to think of it as a time change, because we as the elders are asking you to still come to church at 9 a.m., Right? That would be the simplest way I have to put it. Just there's going to be some stuff that's happening before we enter into gathered worship. So that's what's going on. We are going to launch all of this on June 3rd, which I know you're wondering. So that's a month from now, and we're announcing it right now because we will, it will be in the bulletin, and I'll put up a video this week, and there will be a sign by the road. We'll do everything we can to communicate that because I know that otherwise it's easy for people to, um, to miss those memos. But that's what we're doing. And with that out of the way, let me just say a couple of final things about why I think this matters and why I think the set of priorities behind this, of discipleship, matter. Um, and to do that, let me just offer two truths, one that is kind of hard and then one that is really encouraging, all right? First, let me just reflect on something about what's happened in the modern church. There is this thing that has happened, I think, in the last 40 years where um, American churches have tried to make the Christian faith progressively less demanding. Um, that uh, that it, to lower the bar in terms of what it, you know what the, it calls people to do over and over again, and some of that has been wonderful. Right? For example, that's something that's really encouraged churches to be friendly and welcoming and not insular. It encourages us to use words that people understand and not you know talk about just kind of you know weird theological words, none of which were popping into my head there to give us an example. Um, some of that's been wonderful, but some of it really hasn't. Just If you picture like up until like the 70s, right? I mean, just the norm in any kind of Bible teaching church would be this kind of level of engagement, where there would be Sunday school and adult classes, and then a worship service, and then often another worship service in the evening, and then some kind of midweek program, and often a Bible study as well. I see a few of our older saints kind of nodding as they, they remember those things. And that isn't inherently good. Sometimes that just became about being busy, right? And if you're just wasting people's time by being busy with church stuff, that's not beneficial. But when it was done right, that was really important to the spiritual health of the church and the spiritual health of the next generation. Um, and in the last 40 years, there's this, been this trend to trim thing after thing from that list, right? To reduce it down to just like two things and then just one thing. 
And the idea is that that would make it more convenient and more people would come to church, right? They would, um, you know, if, you're, if, you, if, if all you need is like you come for an hour for a show on Sunday and you, you, know, you drop your kids off and they get ba- babysat and you get your little thing and you leave, then obviously more people might be interested in attending and maybe that worked in the short term. But it, um, it killed our spiritual depth as Christians in this country. And it's killing our children. One of the fears I hear regularly from believers today is about the next generation, that their kids will abandon Christianity. And when I hear people talk about that fear, often I feel like it happens with this sense of mystification, like there's this secular boogeyman out there at college, right? <laughs> and, you know, and no matter what you do, he's just going to snatch your children away. Um, and the truth, and this is the hard truth that I mentioned, is that while every kid goes on their own journey, most kids who leave the church don't do so because of something out there that comes and snatches them away. But at least in part, they do it because we as the church have failed to equip them to live in the world. Uh, We have left them as spiritual infants, would be the way that Paul would put it in this text, so that they are easily deceived and tossed about by the waves. Now, I'm not saying in that that there is some magic to being at church. And I am not saying that that's a sort of like one-for-one kind of deal, right? Kids each have to walk their own journey, and absolutely plenty of them will struggle and stray and go through those things as they process that. But, um, and, and also, right, just adding busyness won't solve it. We need like real invested discipleship in our kids. But um, the truth is, that the church often plays a really important role in that discipleship and that there is a lot of evidence that that correlates with kids continuing to walk with Jesus as they grow into adults. And really that's just to say, like, that's because spiritual maturity doesn't happen by accident. Um, I often have the privilege because of my job to sit with some of our oldest saints and hear them talk about their lives and about Jesus And I admire those people. And I know that many of you guys admire those people too. But I remember having this moment a few years ago sitting with some elderly saints where I'm just like, oh, like, this didn't happen on accident, right? Like, this spiritual maturity, I suddenly realized as they were talking about their experience of life, it's really the product of personal discipleship, right? Of reading the Bible and following Jesus for themselves. And it's the product of decades of Sunday school and adult classes and Bible studies and sermons and all of those things being poured into them, building them up and equipping them. The only way to create people who are like that in their 70s and 80s and 90s is for us to start now. At the same time, and this is the hopeful truth in the face of that hard truth, Discipleship works, not magically and not universally, like we said, but as we seek to grow and, you know, and pursue Jesus and teach our kids and teach others to pursue and grow in Jesus, we will see that growth start to happen. Last year, there was a really interesting study that I saw. It was a study of um, churches in Canada, right? Um, and it was by these sociologists who aren't like Christians or anything, but they, they noticed 
Um, there are, you know, all these, they took Anglican, Lutheran, and Presbyterian churches, right? And they're like, these denominations in Canada, um, sort of like in the U.S., are, are shrinking dramatically, right? The, the main lines of these churches. But there are these certain congregations that seem to be flourishing and growing, and what's up with that? And so what they did is they took a thousand of those flourishing congregations, and then they took a representative, like, thousand other congregations. Does that make sense? You know, that weren't doing that way. And they sat down and compared them. And these people were not Christians, right? But what they found is they couldn't really correlate that different to anything except for two things in those churches. One of them was theological, and that is that they believed that the Bible was God's authoritative word, and I mean, were evangelical in their theology. But the other feature was that all of those churches emphasized personal discipleship. It emphasized that people needed to grow in understanding the Bible for themselves and understanding God's word and practicing personal habits of faith and discipleship in the world. And there are actually a lot of statistics that reflect that idea, right? Um, if, you, if you go kind of reading through the literature, that, that as churches lower the bar, like we said, that's actually the thing that is killing those churches. Um, but that overall decline is not true of churches that still teach and call people to follow after Jesus, right? And again, that's not a one-for-one. One. Every individual has their own story, and there's other things that happen. But in terms, of, um, in terms of the way that God usually works in the world, we still see growth and beauty happening in churches that are seeking to really follow that call. And I say that just to say that it, there is a real sense in which discipleship works and is powerful. As we engage in our faiths, as we invest the time to learn about them and train our children and each other in them, fruit does come. I know of no better way to sum that up than just to reflect on my own life, right? Um, I think if I was to tell my story, I would tell it in a really individualistic way. That, you know, it's all about my choices and my thoughts and my journey with Jesus, right? But, um, but really, when I step back and, rec- and reflect on it, what I know just personally is that I am where I am, and I am walking with Jesus in, in many ways because from an early age, the church poured into me to train me to be a disciple, through Sunday school classes, through uh, my mother who, you know, who sought to instill that faith in me, through, um, through youth groups and a pastor who discipled me as a teenager and college ministries. And it was those things that gave me the tools um, to grow. And yes, I had to take a hold of that as an individual. And yes, ultimately it was God that had to work through that to save me. But it was those things that were the avenues through which God worked. And it was those things that, um, that, as I sought to take a hold of that, showed me what that meant. And in many ways, that is what my heart is to see the church doing, and our heart for why we are doing this here at Kish and making these changes. Um, because um, that is what we're called into as believers, that kind of growth in discipleship that builds us up year by year, generation by generation, to follow after the Lord. I hope that you will join with us as we join in that. Um, we'll sing in just a minute, and then before we close, I'll just mention a few other practical details about that. But let's pray. God and Father, I pray that you would be just teaching us to be such disciples. I pray that you would be growing us in conformity to Christ-likeness and teaching us to be his body in the world, maturing us so that we can be wise and not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I pray that you might be with us as we seek to do this here, institutionally, in terms of what we're doing on Sunday morning. 
And I pray that you would be with us as we seek to live into that calling for ourselves. Pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand and sing? stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me. This life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do? What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Surrendered all 
Amen. So, a couple of practical announcements. One, uh, if you have questions about anything we just discussed with the practical stuff, let me know or visit with one of the, the elders if you know them. Um, but, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure people will have questions. We're happy to answer them. Two, practically, we still need, as we're kind of putting all the structures in place, one children's Sunday school helper, um, not one of the like main teachers, but just someone to be there with them and help and maybe occasionally fill in. Um, and um, if you are interested in being a part of the younger of the two adult classes, which I will be teaching. I don't want to force anybody into it, but I would love to have a couple of people who would be interested in co-teaching if you want to let me know. Um, and you don't actually have to be a part of the younger adult class to co-teach it if you would like to step into it. But we've got teachers lined up for everything else. Um, and then also, um, if you are visiting with us, I know that this is probably an odd sermon, but come back next week and we'll be back into the book of Romans and won't have any special announcements for a while. Um, and, um, and then do join us for fellowship time. In the fellowship hall, there is um, coffee and food. And make sure to greet one another. Like we said, it's us together that are the body of Christ, and we need to get to know those joints and ligaments that are next to us. So um, especially if you don't know the people near you, introduce yourselves to each other. Now go with the Lord's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and always. Amen.